Our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from Isaiah in chapter 8, and our text will come to us from 1 Peter chapter 3. So first, Isaiah chapter 8. Here Isaiah is prophesying of how Assyria will come and invade the land. He's speaking, he was speaking to Ahaz, the king of Judah. So Isaiah chapter 8. Moreover, the Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz, and I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hazbaz, for before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. And the Lord also spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh that flowed softly, and rejoice in Rezin and in Remaliah's son. Now therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory. He will go up over all his channels. He will go over or overflow all his banks. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be shattered, O ye peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, and they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? to the law, and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. 
They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Turning now to First uh, Peter. Chapter 3, and our text for today is verses 13 through 17, which I will read. First Peter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? <clears throat> But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason <clears throat> for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, <clears throat> having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. As far as the reading of God's holy word. Our focus then is on these verses in First Peter, where Peter says, Who will harm you if you are following that which is good? Because that, then there's no cause for people to do anything to you. But in this world, we know that opposition and injustice are, are all around us. We face it every day. And so there's a real possibility that you and I will suffer for righteousness' sake, for doing what is right. As verse 16 says, there are those who will defame you as evildoers, those who slander, those who verbally abuse you, even because you're living a good life or trying to live a godly life. But Paul, even more stronger, states in, in 2 Timothy 3, and he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution because evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse. That opposition will always be there. And so in this world, we realize that we must fight that good fight of faith, both in our own hearts and lives, but also in the presence of this world, as Ephesians says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood only, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age. But this is where Peter says in verse 14, in the second half, do not be afraid of their threats, and be not troubled, nor be troubled. And though it might be easy for us to read that or to tell this to one another, 
We know it's not so easy to do. Fear is a natural reaction to when something happens, when threats come to us, when we see dangers, and we can quickly tremble with fear. But then how do we prepare ourselves to respond in a Christ-like manner in the face of these trials, in the face of these um, oppositions or persecutions? And that's our thought for this morning. And our theme is preparing to respond in suffering. Preparing to respond in suffering. And every time, or as we face trials in this life, whatever they might be, health or opposition from other people, we need to know how to respond. And we must always have the correct perspective in front of us to be able to respond. And today we want to look at two items that we need to keep in view, two things that we must always keep in view to help us and to teach us to respond. And the first is this, that we must always have a sanctified view of God. Have a sanctified view of God. Verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So we must always remember who God is in contrast to whatever we're facing, in contrast to the enemies, in contrast to the trials. And so to sanctify really means to hallow, to set apart as holy. And that means we, we reverence God, we, we adore Him, we trust in His power, we follow His Word in everything, we submit to His holiness and we seek to live according to His Word, to imitate His perfection to live as children of the Father. And here Peter is quoting what we read in Isaiah chapter 8 and in verse 13 specifically. And he says there in, in verse 13 of Isaiah 8, he says, The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Because that's always a question we need to ask ourselves, who is it that we fear more? The enemy, the opposition, the trial, or God? Do they cause us to fear? Or are we afraid to sin against God? Do we tremble to sin against the God we love? And so what is Isaiah really speaking about here? Because we need to understand this context. And Isaiah is saying, first of all, that this is what God taught him. This is what God showed him as his prophet, as his servant. And this is something that we all need to be reminded of and assured of. You might remember also how God told Joshua, as the Lord was using him to lead Israel into Canaan, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Do not be afraid, but be of a good courage. And this is what we all need. And here in Isaiah 8, verse 11, God told Isaiah not to walk according in the same way as the people did. Do not begin to think like them. Do not begin to 
talk like them. Do not become afraid and filled with dread like the people are. And you ask, why? What's happening? But everyone here in the nation was talking about a looming threat, a looming invasion. At this time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom of Judah. Then to the north of them were the ten tribes of Israel called Israel. And then north to the north of them was Syria. And further north to the northeast was Assyria. And these ten tribes of Israel and Syria joined together to form an alliance. They were worried about Assyria coming down and attacking them, and they wanted to join together to defend themselves, but Judah did not want to join that alliance. And so what was happening was the ten tribes of Israel with Syria, they formed the alliance and they were coming down against Judah to attack them. And because... And then in Isaiah 7, a chapter before, in verse 2, it says, And when King Ahaz heard this news, that this alliance was coming against him, he trembled with fear. The Bible uses the descriptive words. They moved like the wind, like the trees in the wind. They were being blown back and forth. That's how much they trembled and feared. And all the people, the whole nation was trembling in fear at this news. But God tells Isaiah, don't be like this people. Don't tremble in fear at these threats. And so the question is, why? Why must we not tremble at these kind of threats? Well, Isaiah is especially warning against a sinful fear, because though fear is natural, a reaction that God has given us to respond to danger, but if we respond in a sinful way, out of sinful fear, it causes us to sin against God. It makes us lose sight of who God is. And suddenly the danger becomes greater than God, and we want to take matters into our own hands one way or other. And this fear seems to be contagious. It can can spread through the land. You you know how it was here in the past years as well. It just causes people, people get caught up with it, with the hype and and, uh, the fear. And so either we flee when no one is pursuing, as the Bible says, the wicked flee when no one pursues in Proverbs 28, or... We're tempted to retaliate, tempted to repay evil for evil, to respond with sin, as Peter has been addressing in these past verses. And so instead of trusting God, Israel here was, wanted to make their own conspiracy. They wanted to make their own political alliance. And Ahaz, the king of Judah, when he heard the threat coming, he wanted to call on Assyria, which was the, the superpower of the world at that time. He wanted to call on them to help to defend him. But Isaiah says, don't. Don't call out of, on Assyria out of fear. Don't partner with this other ungodly powers to de- try to defend yourself. He says, do not be afraid. But in verse 13, he says, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Do not look at Assyria for help, but look to God. Think about how the Lord has given Israel the victory over the many years, taking them out of Egypt, delivering them from the Amalekites, giving them victory over the Philistines, over the Canaanites, over the various nations and lands that were in Canaan. 
And how does this relate to us today? But a church has many enemies, many even who are allied together, threatening to destroy the church and to destroy your faith. And they're very confident that they'll win. You can hear it in how they talk. And they say, just give it time. It'll, it'll overcome the church. You can hear how Israel and Syria were talking in verse 6 of, of Isaiah 8. They rejoiced in resin in the powers of their kings, of their nations. And they allied themselves together, even though Israel and Syria were actually enemies of each other as well. But they needed each other to defend the incoming Assyrians. And today there's many enemies allied together that seem a lot larger than the church. There's various groups that we hear of today. All these various movements such as cancer culture. You hear of the LGBT alliance with uh, whatever is all included in there. And within those groups they can't even, they don't agree with each other. But they're united against their common enemy Christ and his church. But there's many people in the world today, even within churches who out of fear and by losing sight of who God is have joined themselves to them in an attempt to maintain peace. There's others who in various ways want to call on the Assyrians who are looking for a greater power in this world to ally themselves together against a looming threat. Now, these lines can be difficult to draw, but there is a real danger of joining and allying with multi-religious groups to fight against these enemies that only Christ can overcome. And so God warned Isaiah, and Isaiah here warns the people not to think like this, not to think of these political alliances as the answer. Because it's easy to be carried away by the fears and the thinking of the people. It's easy to be carried away, whether it's fears of sickness or persecution or ideologies. But Isaiah says, The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And Peter applies that directly to the suffering Christians here in 1 Peter 3. In verse 14, he says, he quotes Isaiah and he says, Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. He's pointing us to the Almighty God, the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of armies. God is the Lord of armies. Turn to Him. And so he's saying this is the perspective we need to keep in view. That God is in control. Don't turn to Assyria, Ahaz. But turn to God and church. Don't turn to the world, but turn to God. God says why we must trust him. Because in these chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying that Assyria would come. They would come into the land flooding the nations like a river overflowing its banks. And what can stop a river overflowing its banks? We saw that here a couple years ago. The people of Israel and Syria trusted in their own strength, but soon that Assyrian army would come and conquer them. God would use this Assyrian army to destroy the enemy who at this time was threatening his people, Judah. 
But at the same time, Isaiah says that the Syrian army is not going to stop there. It's also going to come into Judah. That flood will also flood into your land. But then notice how Isaiah stops at verse 8. Isaiah 8, verse 8, at the end of the verse, he says that they will, and the stretching out of its wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. The enemy will come, it'll sweep the land, it'll cover the land, and he says, O Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. You will face these trials, but God is with you. The enemy will not destroy you completely. God's presence is your comfort even in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecutions, in the midst of these looming invasions and threats. And so Peter says, don't be afraid or be troubled, but trust in God. Consider him who is the Holy One, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, and sanctify this God in your hearts. Let him fill your heart. And Peter would have in mind especially the Lord Jesus Christ. Some other translations actually say instead of sanctify the Lord God, it says, sanctify Christ the Lord in your hearts. This is the Emmanuel. As Isaiah goes on to say in verse 14, he's our sanctuary. What's a sanctuary? It's a place of refuge. It's your strength. He's your ever-present help in time of trouble. He controls even the armies that come to invade the land. The New Testament, we know, especially focuses on the spiritual enemies, the, the spiritual battle of Christ's people. Christ is the one who controls the forces of darkness, for he has defeated your foe. He has crushed the head of Satan on Calvary, and he will deliver his people from it. And so 1 John chapter 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Your captain is stronger than the one who is the captain of all the armies in this world who oppose Christ. Christ is with you. But remember, this army was coming as a judgment. These armies were coming against Judah and Israel because they had forsaken God. And God's judgment may come like a flood into our land, even this land here today, because we as a nation have forsaken God. And what more can we expect? That God would bring his judgments in one form or another. And we might be caught up in the floods, in the midst of it. But he says to you, his church, do not be afraid of these threats, nor be troubled. Because God is fighting, God controls this all. He's fighting for his church. And these judgments might, might even serve as chastisements to us for our wanderings and backslidings, for our sins, for our neglect, for our coldness of heart to serve the Lord. But we can also know that God chastises his children in love to bring him back to himself. So sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. Honor Him with repentance, with faith, with seeking Him for help in the face of trouble. In Isaiah, he learned to say in verse 17, And I will wait on the Lord, who hides His face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in Him. 
And so Peter says, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed in God, in Christ, the Emmanuel, because he is with us. So the first view we need to have is look to God. He is the one who will bring you through. Get the right perspective of his power, his control, his dominion over the earth. A sanctified view of God in Christ. But then secondly, a second view we have to have compared to the enemy that we face is a crucified view of ourselves. A crucified view of ourselves. And you say, what does that mean? Well, it means that we recognize, first of all, that we are nothing in the face of these enemies. And that if we were left to ourselves, we would certainly be consumed. That's what Israel said. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, we would have been consumed. In Psalm 124, this enemy comes like a flood, and we can't stop the enemy any more than we can stop the flooding rivers. But you have been crucified with Christ, dead to self but alive in Christ. Peter said earlier, you've been begotten unto a living hope, and you live by faith and not by sight. Christ is your sanctuary, your refuge, your hope. And so a crucified view of self has a confident hope in Christ. Verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be always ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for that hope that is in you. And notice how Peter says it. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. He does not say sanctify your heart to God, or, but sanctify God in your heart. This view of the Almighty God must fill our heart. It's not about our commitment. It's not about our resolve. It's not about our efforts. But it's about the Almighty God of heaven and earth who preserves and keeps His people, as, P as, as Peter says, kept by the power of God. This thought, this view must pervade our heart. When we sanctify God in our heart, then our whole life is also directed with this view of God. And then God is the object in view with everything that we do. And it's with this view of God that we can face that this world full of opposition and enmity, ready with confidence, ready to give a defense to everyone for the hope that is in you, even if you're being persecuted. That hope is that expectation that's built on the God who is the Almighty Lord of hosts. This is a hope that gives you patience in the midst of trials. It's a hope that gives you perspective through the clouds of fear that grip the nation. God is in control of my very life and everything that happens in this world, whether we're caught up in it or not. And people will notice this. They will notice if you're carried along with the, with the waves of the culture or not. If you're swept along with the fear and trembling of the people who don't know God or not. And then they'll ask you, why? What is the reason for this hope? And then you can say with Elisha, because those who are with us are more than those with them. Or with John, that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. 
As Hope says with Psalm 56, in God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It is a hope of eternal life that no army can take away. God is with us. But a crucified view of self also has a careful obedience to God. Peter goes on to say at the end of verse 15, you give that reason for your hope with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. You need a crucified view of self to avoid walking any longer in sin. That we follow that which is good so that there is no cause against us for any man to speak evil to us. So we need to examine ourselves. Do we walk in a spirit of meekness and fear, in a spirit of gentleness and respect? Now, this does not at all mean a spirit of timidity or fear or, or, or uh, fearfulness, because Moses and Jesus were both very meek. The Bible says so. But they are also both very powerful leaders and strong opposers of evil. And so a meekness does not mean a weakness. It means strength in the strength of God and the power of God to oppose that which truly is evil. But we must be careful to have the right attitude and actions as Christ did as we considered a few weeks back, being conformed to the image of Christ in obedience to Him. And when we face the threats in the world, is our conduct, our actions controlled by our view of God or by our view of this world? Because a crucified view of ourself realizes that we are prone to fear, first of all. We're, we are weak in ourselves. We, we do fear. And that can cause us to sin, either to retaliate or to flee when we should stand. But our weakness should make us look to Emmanuel, the God with us, that with Paul we can say, when I am weak, then I am strong, because God is with me. And that obedience gives that confidence with God to know that we are walking while pleasing in His sight by the grace of His Spirit. That like Job, when he was being accused by his friends, he could say that he had confidence before God that he was righteous, in his doings, his conscience was clear before God. So we need to live in that careful obedience to Christ. But Peter says, even if then you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Then you have confidence before God. And it does not matter what other people say to you or against you. You know that God knows your heart. You know that God is your witness. You know, God is with you. And that gives you comfort not only as you start learning this as little children in the home between your siblings. You know God knows your heart. And you don't want to sin against God by retaliating. Or growing up when you work and you know your boss is not treating you fairly and yet you hold your peace. You know God knows all things. Or your friends in this world as you face these little altercations in your life. People can so easily misjudge, but God knows the truth. And your conscience does not allow you to sin against the other or against God. So then how much more comforting is it to know 
that God is on your side when you're being persecuted by the world. Blessed are you. There's also a careful obedience to God because you know this leads to the glory of God. It's His name that you love and want to honor, that to sanctify. So when they defame and revile you, as Peter says, for your good conduct, earlier in chapter 2, verse 12, he said that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. And he says here that they will be ashamed, verse 16, ashamed because of their own slander. The truth and word of God will triumph. And you're careful in your obedience because you know that the same God who is a sanctuary for those who trust in Him, those who follow Him, obey Him, He is your refuge, but to those who are not, He is the opposite. He's the opposite of a refuge and sanctuary to your enemies. Isaiah said in verse 14, He will be as a sanctuary, that's to you, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble, and they shall fall and be broken and be snared and taken. Those who do not believe in Christ, He is a stumbling stone to them, to those who oppose God. And Isaiah prophesied that the enemies, Syria and Israel, would be crushed, be broken as they stumble. And all who reject Christ will be destroyed forever. And you fear God because you fear that He is the only one who can keep you in His hands. And you don't want to live a life of sin apart from God. And if there is obedience, but then, there, then there is confidence that Christ is ours that His life is manifest through us, that we are Christ and He is ours, our Emmanuel. He's our hope in the midst of the trial. And it's with that that we are ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. But then also a crucified view of self has a careful submission to God's will. Verse 17 says, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You submit to the circumstances in your life that are outside of your control. You crucify our own will, our own pride, and our selfish desires. And we have a, a sanctified view of the Almighty God who holds all things in His hands, in control of everything, even what we go through in our suffering. And if we have a crucified view of ourselves, we submit ourselves to God who knows what is right and who alone does right, though it goes against our own will. Sometimes we fight it with every fiber of our being, but we trust that God has blessing in store. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, Peter says. God working in you the internal weight of glory which cannot be compared to the sufferings in this world. And this submission produces patience in the midst of suffering. 
you have the hope of eternal life, an inheritance that God has reserved in heaven for you. It's a submission that draws you to Christ instead of causing you to run from God. Rather than trying to escape suffering in every possible way in this world, looking for rest in this restless world, you will draw near to Christ in your suffering. You will turn to Him instead of Assyria, and you'll worship Him as your God. Sanctify Him in your suffering. So submission to God also allows you to continue to trust and to honor God despite these threats. And because you, you fear sinning against Him more than you fear the suffering itself, sin brings darkness and distress to your soul. There's a loss of communion with God. There's a guilty conscience which hurts more than the pains of suffering. And this is why Daniel continued to pray despite the threats of being thrown in the lion's den. This is why the three friends continued to worship God and not to idol despite the threat of the fiery furnace. This is why Joseph resisted a temptation to commit adultery despite the consequences that he faced. They submitted themselves to God's will. And peace with God dispels the fears of other men because Emmanuel, God, is with us. And so submission to his will also corrects us. It keeps us from straying into evil and sin. And that's why the psalmist says, it's good for me to have been afflicted. Submission refines your faith. Peter said in the, in the first chapter that even though we face grievous trials now, it's so that the genuineness of your faith may be is being tested by fire, so that it may be found to the praise and honor and glory the appearing of Jesus Christ. And this submission conforms you to Christ. As Paul said in Philippians 3, that I may know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so to be prepared for suffering, we need to have these two things in view, the sanctified God of a view of God, because then we will not fall into the error thinking that the enemy is too strong for us. And secondly, a crucified view of self, so we don't fall into the error thinking that we can face the enemy in our own strength. Amen.